Welcome to Hisashi Saw. If you're just joining us, I am Corey. And I am Keith. And we love movies. Just not the same ones. So every week, we make the other person watch a movie that we love. But the other would never watch unless we were doing a podcast together. And then we talk about it. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, uh, very sorry we kind of skipped a week, but uh, Keith got to go to Mini Comic Con. And so he was gone all weekend, mm-hmm. and there was no way that I could get him to sit down and record with me. It was at Comic Con. He was at Comic Con, and then he was sleeping. So. But I did get you a Coopy Kochi. A coochie copy? A coochie, yeah, from Bob's Burgers. You got me a good coochie copy, bad coochie copy. Yep. Yep. Glow in the dark. It's a special San Diego Comic Con limited edition, Mm -hmm. only available at Comic Con. Yes, and it's also a nightlife. Mm hmm. And so now I have a coochie copy. Thank you. You're welcome. And then our daughter also has two cool things. I met Agnes, and I can't remember her last name, Kurowski or something like that. And uh, she's one of the artists for My Little Pony comic books and DC Supergirls and three or four other really very popular series with kids. And she did a little portrait of our daughter, Isla, Mm -hmm. who Agnes says is absolutely adorable. And uh, did a portrait of her with Isla's favorite pony. Sunset Shimmer. I know. And I thought she was going to say Twilight Sparkle. I know. But whenever I say Sunset Shimmer, they were like, oh, oh. So... (laughs) It's a very refined pick. So well, you know, she was a baddie and she turned into a goodie. Yeah, so good story. She's good. making good choices now. Good, good story arc. So there's hope. And then <laughs> the one that my high schoolers were—I did not realize they would go crazy for. Mm-hmm. But I also got to meet uh, from *Miraculous Ladybug*. I got to meet the Cat Noir. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was kind enough to do a special video message just for Isla. Mm-hmm. And my high schoolers were so jealous because he <laughs> says hi to them. And then he does just like whenever they beat a bad guy at the end, they say, pound it. And they do a fist. Yeah, a fist bump. Explosion. And so, uh, yeah, I had high schoolers lining up to watch the video just so they For could. Or your seven-year-old. So they could fist bump my phone <laughs> with the real cat noir. So. Yeah, she watched and took a picture right back with the fist bump. Yep, she, she, and she wouldn't let me do it. She wanted to do selfie mode, and she wanted to fist bump the camera. Yeah. So, so. it's a little slightly off, but it's, it's anyway. well-intended. So, so yes. Keith was just so super busy. We weren't able to record anything, but that's okay, because I feel like maybe we're more of a every other week kind of a show now. Yeah. because life is just getting so crazy. Yeah, life is about to, we're going to be re-entering the world. So, uh, yeah, so we will. School and jobs and. Yeah, a new job coming up. But before that happens, mm-hmm. uh, we decided we want to shift into holiday mode because we've already decorated the house. Yeah, so we thought. Christmas of, threw up in here. Yeah, we were very uh, ambitious and thought we would get <laughs> Thanksgiving episode before Thanksgiving. And uh, no. So, but we're still going to watch those movies. And we're still going to do a Thanksgiving episode because you don't care what time of year it is. Yeah, who knows when you'll listen to this. Maybe you'll binge and you'll be like, oh, this was their Thanksgiving episode. And we've just like given it away that it's actually not. But it is. It's our post-Thanksgiving glow episode. There you go. So. (laughs) I'm very excited that I finally get to watch this movie because I suggest this movie every week. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's my favorite Polly Shore movie, mm-hmm. and uh, Polly Shore really inspired me in this movie because 
he was the type of character, like, he'd been in college for a really long time. And I spent a really long time in college for different reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was also working full time and it took me, like, 12 years to get through college. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so he basically majored in, like, everything. And so I love that. I love, like, people who know a little bit about everything and who uh, know how to do, like, weird random things. And I pride myself in knowing weird random things. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if we talked about last week. But, uh, you know, like, for instance, uh, Mm -hmm. you should never have liver from a polar bear because it has so much vitamin A in it that you will die. It's poisonous. Did you know that? No, but I'll keep that in mind (laughs) if I ever am offered polar bear liver. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and also, I love Trivial Pursuit. I love Jeopardy. Whenever they send me the, okay, it's time to audition for Jeopardy. Here's a quiz. I always fail them miserably. But I'm really good at playing Jeopardy. Like, some nights I'm amazing. Like, some nights they'll do, like, a category. Like, they'll do women authors or something, or they'll Mm -hmm. do, like, Shakespeare. And so then I'll guess the questions that they're going to ask. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm right. We're the only people who have ever compared Polly Shore and the game show Jeopardy in the same conversation. So, Well, no, because in Encino Man, his favorite TV show was Jeopardy. I am sensing a theme here with Polly Shore. I might write him a letter and ask him. He might like trivia, too. Uh, when the world starts back up again, I would really like to do a trivia night. Just putting it out there. All right. So anyway, uh, we are going to be watching the movie Son-in-Law. Oh, shoot. I thought if I kept, let you keep going, we would kind <laughs> of we forget. we just Jeopardy? Yeah, we just watched Jeopardy. I wouldn't have yeah, to watch we'll Son-in-Law. So. <laughs> it's a sweet movie. If I'm going to go Polly Shore, it's going to like, let's just go full Polly Shore. Mm-hmm. So like my favorite Polly Shore I movie is, uh, is Biodome. Like that's mm. like, you know. That one's okay. I like that one too. Do you know Kylie Minogue is in that one? She Do I know Petrie. that? She's the redheaded one. Oh. Uh, I've seen probably that 400 times, too. Yeah. That one. So that's my, my speed of Polly Shore. So we'll oh. see if... Uh, well, that's similar. Yeah, we'll see. It didn't really impress me first time around, but we'll watch it again and see how what I think of it now. So. Okay. And so I get to watch something that I have no interest in. <laughs> and most people would consider a cinematic masterpiece. So... It is one of the signature roles of Al Pacino, and that would, of course, be Son of a Woman. hoo I watched it and absolutely loved it. It was kind of like a, a sequel to Dead Poets Society for me. It's another movie which kind of makes you think, what, what do I want my life to be about? Hmm. What do I want people to think, and what type of life am I going to live? So it's a very guy-centered movie. Yay! So I enjoyed it, but I have awesome. no idea how this is going to go with you. So. Uh. And I also, when I watched it, was basically Chris O'Donnell's age of his character. Uh So it's going to be interesting for me to be like, I'm between the age of Chris O'Donnell and Al Pacino's character in this movie. So so we will see. I think, did Pacino win an Oscar for this? I think he might have won an Oscar for it. If he didn't, he should have. Hoo-ah! So I, I take it this held up for you. Oh, totally. I watched this movie so many times. It's just so funny. It's got so many great lines. And again, one of those movies where when I watched it again, I remembered all the lines that I used to say all the time and annoy everybody. After watching it and watching your reaction to it, I was like, oh, I I think I know why she likes this, but I'm not sure if she knows why she likes this. <laughs> Do you want to p- unpack that right now? I 
think that one of the reasons you like this is the crawl character by Polly Shore is an amalgamation of your father and two brothers. <laughs> I see parts of them at different moments. Mm-hmm. And I would especially as you were growing up, I, I had imagined that that your two brothers were very much more like crawl than they are now. I would say that's fair. I, I wasn't sure how you were going to take that. So Why? took it better than I thought. So Why? I like all of those people. So do you um, have a pitch for this movie? I do have a pitch for this movie. All right. So Polly Shore stars as a West Coast free spirit named Crawl, who is about to spend Thanksgiving alone until his fellow college student Rebecca invites him to join her family in South Dakota. He goes there as a friend, but will he leave there as the son-in-law? Wow, you did it again. Oops, I did it again. Mm-hmm. I don't know the words no, you do not. to any song. <laughs> Can I just say, uh, before you start, though, I don't know if you know this, but Beverly Hills 90210 uh, was my absolute favorite show. I watched all the episodes when they first came out, Mm -hmm. and then when I later on was a young adult and they um, had them on FX, I watched them all again. The last time I watched them, though, I would have an hour-long commute home in traffic, so I would put Beverly Hills 90210 on, on Hulu on my phone. And I'd put it in the cup holder. So the reason I say this is because, of course, Miss Tiffany Amber Thiessen was in 196 episodes of 90210 from the years of 1994 to 2000. The guy who plays uh, another guy, I won't say who he is, he was also in 90210. And he was only there for a year because they killed him off. He gets hit by a trash truck. But he played Dick. Wow. And that's basically what his character was like. <laughs> so I, that was just something I needed to get out there. Mm-hmm. She needed to say it. Yes. Okay, sorry. You may continue. Well, I wasn't on anywhere. You just <laughs> wanted to do a 90210 monologue. All right. Do we know what year this was? 92. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I... I have the flow here. It's Encino Man... I'm sorry. I was wrong. Encino Man was 92. Son-in-law was 93. In the Army Now, 94. And then your favorite, Biodome, was 96. I'm 90% sure I saw Son-in-law at my university, University of the Pacific. Nice. In the... Uh, we had a movie theater on campus. I don't know if they still do, but we used to have a... That's cool. Yeah. And we had a stupid bowling alley on campus at State. As long as you were a student and could show your ID, you got in for free. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't see many great movies there. It was kind of like... <laughs> oh, was it like the military-based movies, maybe? Yeah. Like second run? Yeah, so I saw it then, and I was just kind of like, ah. <laughs> I just... It was, it was kind of sad for me, because it was the first time where I was like, oh, this is why adults don't like Polly Shore. So... <laughs> But it's been a long time, uh-huh. and so had some time away from I've it. had some time away from it, and so here we go. <laughs> so we will. So this was fresh. This is a fresh take. Fresh take for for me. So, <laughs> so son-in-law starts. There's a high school graduation happening. We meet the valedictorian, whose name is Rebecca, played by Carlo Gugino, mm-hmm. who. This was my first time seeing her, although I would become a big fan later. She says a nice valedictorian speech, and she's in South Dakota, and she's Small a small town. She's gone in a scholarship to go to college in Southern California. So, but don't worry. She plans to come home for every vacation into the waiting arms of her family and boyfriend. Also at the graduation, we get a quick uh, horrible family photo where we meet the members of the family. So we have uh, Lane Smith as Grumpy Dad, Mason Adams as Grumpy Grandpa. Smucker's man. Exactly. Also from Toy Soldiers. Mm -hmm. Cindy Pickett, who's playing Connie Warner the eternally exasperated mother, mm-hmm. and then uh, Patrick Renna from The Sandlot. This was evidently right after The Sandlot, playing uh, Zach 
He's basically just a perverted 14 or 15 year old is kind of what he's playing. So thir- he's somewhere like, between 13 and he's 15. He's like the younger brother in all the 80s movies, basically. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> can I just say that one of my goals is to have a photo like that? Wow. I mean, I know we have several. Yeah. Already. Mm-hmm. But just like an album full of photos just like that. Just all eventually pack up into a small pickup truck and bicker across the country <laughs> <laughs> only to face. They drive from South Dakota. Oh my gosh. LA. I just, th- that they lived is saying something. <laughs> and so they get all the way across the country to face this extreme culture shock when they drop her off at her dorm. The The dorm is just every stereotypical mm-hmm. college dormitory. It was really much more like a co-ed frat house with just, you know. Well, people are just like partying in the hallways all yeah, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Random nakedness, just mayhem and all that. It's, ba- it's basically every college frat scene like is bong, where she's moving into. Around. Yeah. (laughs) Things go from bad to worse when the father is having trouble opening Rebecca's trunk, knocks on the RA's door, the resident assistant. Because the RA's right across the hall. Yeah, so he's at least that RA is going to be able to keep a watch out on any shenanigans. And he opens up the door to meet Crawl, who is upside down. We can't quite tell if he's naked or not. Might be (laughs) naked, might not, but he's He's got. Yeah, he's got one of those, uh, those boots on that allows you to hang upside down. And uh, gravity boots? yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're called. They're they're for like traction think, or something you like would that. Know. I You're have Mr. Fitness man. I have looked. You're always at them. trying to put bars up all over my house. <sighs> One day You're I'll be able to. Always taking chairs and trying to do a broom and a chair, and I was like, "What are you doing? You're gonna break both of those things." <laughs> Easiest way to do pull-ups in a house if you don't have a pull-up bar. But uh-huh. anyway, Easiest way to break your furniture. <laughs> Maybe that too, because I'm so buff. So anyway, so eventually the family leaves, just you know, rolling their eyes. The crap out of her too. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it, but Rebecca just is not ready for this college. So they make her very uh, virginal and innocent dowdy. and dowdy, and everybody else is always just eating out of a pizza box with a beer in their other hand. And <laughs> so if she finally reaches her breaking point um, during a Halloween, Halloween party. Yeah, at a Halloween party where we have a quick cameo by Brendan Fraser. He's playing the character Link from Encino Man. Mm-hmm. And Encino Man had just come out the year before. Yeah. So, a tip of the hat. Yeah, which does make some sense. One of the writers here is uh, Sean Sheps, who's also wrote Encino well, Man. Well, there you go. So there you it's go. It's like an airplane... Like they're like yeah they're like in a they're like in an MTV orbit at that point. Rebecca is going to the payphone, which I remember those days, and so goes to the goes to the payphone to call to go home. And Polly Shore goes up and hangs up. She's like, like, "What are you doing?" And she's like, "I'm going home. This is just too much." He's like, "Hey, let me talk to you for a second. She's and she's like, "No." And he's like, "Look, give me five minutes if you still want to go home." No problem, I understand. But let's just talk a little bit about this. So Crawl, who's been an absolute pervert every second he's been on screen <laughs> up to this moment, starts to have a heart-to-heart with Rebecca. And so he's like on year six of being in college and explains how like, look, I'm totally geeky. I'm from Las Vegas and I came here and I just, it, it wasn't working for me either. But then, you know, I started to relax a little bit and started exploring. And I well, think you would too. the specs. He grew the dew and he goes with some brew. Which I never want our daughter to listen to this episode. <laughs> but he's like, look, he came out here to experiencing something, to experience something new. And so, and how can you say you've done that until you really just kind of go off campus and you see what life is? I haven't even left campus yet. Which, um, it's college. So <laughs> you shouldn't have to go off campus. <laughs> 
was just the, the little but corollary there. But if you move there. to a city that's different than yours, then you should go experience the city. I had a weird experience. University of Pacific is up in Stockton. It was very much kind of a fortified little uh, everything is happening on campus type of situation. It was like so. A so anyway, in this case, Rebecca's going off campus because we're like in L.A. or I think we're in Venice. They're in Venice Beach. Yeah, they're in Venice Beach. So, yeah, a rough life. And so <laughs> she just starts basically experimenting. She cuts her hair. She gets a, she dyes it. She starts dressing crazy. And like Buffalo Exchange. Gets a, gets a yeah, gets a tattoo. Um, Which, who gives her the tattoo? Uh, flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was really excited that I remembered that and you were not very excited. I was like, look, it's Flea. Did you see it's Flea? Oh, yeah. No, I re- You didn't react. Well, he was wearing clothes, so it's hard to recognize him. So, <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. No, so yeah, and we have the montage of Country Girl you know, letting her hair down basically. And then it's Thanksgiving suddenly. And so she's a totally different person, much more relaxed, much more personable. Loving life. So, you know, she's getting ready for Thanksgiving and then she gets a call. It's her boyfriend. We had a previous scene where, um, where the boyfriend was trying to get off the phone real quick because he was going to go hang out with Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Mm-hmm. Tracy. Tracy is, Tracy is her character name here. So and his name is Travis. Yeah. Travis and Tracy. Yeah. Very creative. Well, you know. <laughs> Come on, Shep. So what ends up happening is, is she's like, oh, yeah, no, it'll be good to see you. Yeah, I can't wait. And, you know, and then she hangs up and then she's about to say bye to Crawl. And he's like, I, it's not going to work out for me to go home to Vegas. So I'm just going to stay here and have fun. And he, even he, he seemed like he would totally be fine with that. Yeah. Well, because Hungry Man came out with a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. So he, he was said. he was reading the box like five days ahead of time. So <laughs> but he really did seem OK. She was like, I, I got an idea. Cut to somewhere between a prop plane and a regular plane landing. Is it a Cessna? I, I don't, I think it's bigger I than a Cessna. But uh, yeah. Very small plane. Yeah. Up on the tarmac. For, for a commercial flight, it's a small plane. <laughs> she comes down the steps wearing uh, even less clothes than she had earlier. She's and, in a bustier with fishnet overlay. Yeah, don't worry. But you can see her, her bra. So it's like, you know. It's well, it's a, a bustier. And, but um, her jacket as we were watching it, I started searching for a jacket like that. And it matched the shorts. The shorts had little buttons with, with the, the print of the, sorry, mm-hmm. your eyes are rolling. Oh, no, it's, it's fine. I'm I, sorry, I just really want that jacket. I like I to can. talk about 90s fashion. You know, and she's wearing <laughs> tights and, uh, or like kind of like the forerunner to yoga pants and then. Yeah, footless tights. Was footless tights. Footless tights. Footless toots. I don't know. <laughs> she's wearing the 90s California uniform and the parents and the kid and the grandpa and the boyfriend are just oh my gosh what are you wearing they're just behind them besides themselves and don't worry it gets worse because who's also on the plane crawl. but crawl is coming down <laughs> wearing kind of whatever seems to jump off out of his closet he just puts it on we have several scenes of kind of like culture shock and again crawl is much better in these scenes than he is in the beginning of the movie he's much more of like a down-to-earth friendly guy and well he knows becca now as a person not just as an object uh, there you go and he's super excited to be there because he mm-hmm. he's filming everything yeah he's basically like a seven-year-old he's... i love it he's like oh you have chickens i love chicken yeah <laughs> so travis clearly is going to propose like several times you know they're both in the barn somehow together and she immediately acts like she's getting sick she has a visceral reaction before he can say anything she needs a fainting couch what ends up happening is a crawl needs some clothes to fit in so they go clothes shopping and as they're doing it rebecca's like oh my gosh travis is a 
tried to propose to me. I don't know what to do. And and Crawl is just like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Just relax. It's okay. And so sure enough, they get to the restaurant. Like the country club that everybody goes to. Yeah. So there's like a city country club. And of course, everybody in town is there basically. We have a a grand entrance by Polly Shore in what is probably best described as a Daisy Duke outfit. Well, he's got bike shorts, but then he's got cheek chillers, which is yeah, and he's got and he's got cowboy boots, but kind of like half cowboy boots well, like I've never he, seen before. He cut them, so it's just like a like a, a mule. I don't know. Shoe. I I don't know what that word means, but um, it's okay. What that is. Okay, so yeah, so <laughs> he he's got like the heel. Out of it. Yeah, he gets a heel out of it, and he's wearing like it's like a loafer with a heel. It's it's just really interesting. And so what happens? So what's happening is is so he's coming in, and Rebecca just is like she just likes crawl yeah. you know she he's he's her buddy and everybody is like trying to laugh at crawl but crawl like doesn't even he care. care he's just like this is what i wanted to wear i wanted you now and he reminds me of a toddler anyway they sit down they start eating again and then travis needs the entire room's attention because <laughs> it's very clear it's like okay there's no running now this is gonna happen <laughs> and so she's kind of like like oh no 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 and travis flat out makes the proposal to the whole room and everyone's very pleased and everyone's super happy and they're looking towards rebecca and rebecca just drives her heel into crawl's foot and so that forces crawl in pain to jump up and he's like well uh, you know that's really sweet but unfortunately you know you're too late because i proposed to rebecca two weeks ago and she said yes Here's your little ringy. Yeah, and everyone is just shocked. And Rebecca's kind of trying to play along. <laughs> she would much rather be pretend engaged to crawl than obviously to be with Travis anymore. So as you'd imagine, Rebecca's father is just so happy. <laughs> grumpy dad? Yeah, that grumpy dad is just so happy <laughs> that, uh, no. So he's furious as most fathers, especially fathers in like the 90s and before. like in middle America. Yeah, once they get home, he's like, well, how are you going to provide for my daughter? And so <laughs> he says, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a farmer. He's like, well, I could be a farmer too. The father is just like, all right, well, we start early tomorrow. Cut to 5 a.m. 5 a.m. <laughs> and the father's, he has this helper for he's assistant like a, for his the farm. ranch hand or the foreman. Yeah. And his name is, I think, Troy or something like that. Or Theo. 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 So Theo roughhouses crawl up and a lot of there's a lot of physical humor because it's probably sure so basically well and they've had a couple of of instances uh before this where crawl really wants to be his friend and like tries to hug him and he's just like get away from me you weirdo yeah he's mm-hmm. just like curious on everything and just wants to be everybody's friend and right wants to hug everybody yeah and just thinks yeah he just feels thinks the best of everyone yeah and so theo and the father take advantage of this mm-hmm. and just put him in several slapstick situations just to get him out of his like legs so, and, and pee and <laughs> pigs and just like a and, bowl. And so what happens is, is that they're having lunch and the father is so proud of himself. Mm-hmm. He is so excited. Because of what he's done. And um, he says, well, I guess you're guess you're done. And, and Carl's like, well, no, I just haven't found my groove yet. I, you know, I'll figure it out. And. <laughs> amazingly rebecca's younger brother zach offers to help and everyone's like what of course it's a movie so within one day he's learned how to farm 
and he gets a bunch of pointers <laughs> from. Yeah, he gets uh, a lot of pointers from Zach, the brother. Theo and the dad are kind of like, huh. So later on, Crawl is exhausted. He goes into the house and the bathroom, the bathroom door is open. And so he sees uh, the back of Rebecca. He goes up to give Rebecca a hug and oops, it's not Rebecca. It is Connie, the mother, because Crawl has no filter. He's just like, why, you know, you're a hottie. What are you doing? Like, why, you know, we're about to all go out. You should gussy up a little bit. And so. Do a makeover. Yeah. So. Because that's what Crawl does. Cut to a barn square dance type thing where also the whole. The whole town's there. whole town's there. And Connie is all as put the Gus and gussied up. And so the dad is, is a little flabbergasted. <laughs> and Connie, the mom is a bit embarrassed as they're kind of talking. Some other guy wants to dance with her. Rebecca's dad bands up. It's like, no, no, no. The parents obviously have a great time where they're flirting with each other a little bit. And Crawl, of course, figures out a way to get onto the Barker's mic. The head of the square dance? Yes, the, the square dance the collar. The, is that what it's called? The collar? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost sure. An auctioneer? A square dance auctioneer. They're not selling anything. No, it's a caller. It's oh, a guy. Yeah, they are. It's the guy who who yells <laughs> what to do next. So yes. Travis, Rebecca's jilted boyfriend, says, "Hey, you know what? I'm so sorry because uh, he he did punch crawl last scene. But anyway, <laughs> and he's like, you know what? No hard feelings. I want to give you a bachelor party tomorrow night. So th- the night is just a amazing success. And clearly at this point, Rebecca actually starts to fall for crawl because she sees how happy her parents are and how much different than the the guy that we met at the beginning of the movie. Well, crawl just makes everything better. And they're standing on like the front yard in front of the house and they're about to kiss when cranky grandpa, Pappy, Pappy interrupts them. He's like, don't mind me. And they're like, ah, okay. Thanks, Pappy. So, so the next morning, uh, the Warner men are going to go fishing. And so Crawl, of course, wants to come. And so on this fishing trip, there's like some bonding actually that happens between Dad and, and Crawl. And um, Pappy actually has a heart attack in, in the midst of it. And so Crawl is about to do CPR for him. Because he majored in it. Because he majored in it for a semester. semester. And he goes down and he really he does nothing. He closes the nose and is about to do mouth to mouth. And the grandpa, of course, with his nose closed, is like starts to wake up and is completely angry and panics. Yeah, what are you trying to do? But but the dad feels like he's in Crawl's debt because Crawl gives him some advice with his son. And um, well, because he sees the way that Pappy treats him mm -hmm. and how he treats Zach, the little his son the same way. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what the script says. You know, that, that, I'll get to that at the end. Yeah. Well, get... I just I feel like he's like the wise sage that comes in and makes kind everything of. better. Yeah, he's kind of the beggar Vance of this movie. So, <laughs> once Crawl gets back to the house, he talks to Rebecca and he's like, "Look, I I don't want to I don't want to lie to your family anymore. You're like your dad took me fishing. We got his." You got to say, if you don't say something, I will. And she's like, no, 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 I'll tell him. I'll tell him. We uh, have a, a turkey scene that I'll just kind of go over and, and skip for now. Well, it's a farm. And it's a farm. And it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. So tur- <laughs> turkey hijinks has to happen. Anyway, <laughs> after the turkey hijinks, uh, Travis comes by to pick up Crawl for the bachelor party. And we cut immediately to the bar where 
Crawl is drinking like a fish. Travis and Theo put a couple pills, not a couple pills, basically half like a pill half bottle. A bottle. They're gonna kill him. Yeah, into into his drink, and so so of course Crawl just knocks it all back, and then suddenly Tracy shows up in a trench coat, <laughs> and she says, "Are you guys ready for some real entertainment?" And so is she the town stripper. I, you know, out of everyone in the town, I would pick her to be the stripper, well, yeah, but, but like, yeah. really like the small town like that. And she, they, she grew up and they all knew her. And she's the stripper. Well, I don't, <laughs> it is, it is the most saved by the bell strip tea scene ever. <laughs> and so she starts to do kind of dancing for the she guys. Her hair. Yeah. And she kind of like grabs people's tie and just kind of like pushes them away and <laughs> It's very, it is so PG. It is just. Did you want more? Uh, for that Don't type of movie. And <laughs> she was still Kelly Kapowski. Yeah, she was still, she was so Kelly Kapowski. Anyway, mm-hmm. so she kind of works her way over, gets to crawl and basically climbs on his lap and crawl passes out. She's like, aw. And everyone's like, aw. Travis is real quick with the beer. He basically tells her to drink up and she starts to drink a little bit. And he's like, tips it to make sure she drinks it all in one shot. And then the next morning happens. They can't find Crawl anywhere. And Theo's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I thought I heard something happening in the barn right now. And so Rebecca's looking all over and she comes to the barn. And there she sees Crawl in the hay with Tracy. And they've still got all their clothes on. <laughs> And so, and they're both just super groggy. And so Rebecca is just furious and she she's just, devastated. yeah. And she says the wedding's off and runs away. And oh my gosh, it's so weird. Uh, Travis shows up <laughs> out of nowhere. Travis shows up like right as Tracy is getting to her car and she's like, wait a second, the seat's way too back. That's weird. And so she moves the seat and then. She sees Travis and she's like, oh, hey. And he's like, he basically basically calls her a whore, basically, is what he does, mm-hmm. is he infers that and says, I, you know, you were all over him last night. She's devastated because she can't remember anything. And so she just drives off. And, and Travis gets into the house just in time for Crawl to get kicked out, basically, and to be there for Rebecca. Because what's happened is, is that Crawl and Rebecca have had a heart to heart. And she's like, how could you? And he's like, well, but you, you lie all the time and you can't even stand up for yourself. So who's really avoids the truth, you know, because he's told the truth the whole movie, except for the whole, I'm engaged to her, but. He's one of the bachelor party kids. Crawl leaves and as he's on the side of the road hitchhiking, what has happened is, is that Tracy has also found a pill bottle in her car. She gets mad and uh, a stuntman does a 180 in the car. Amazing. I thought I was watching Death Proof for a second there. It was Tokyo Drift Man. That was it was it was it's a tight 180. It was very well done. In a Trans Am. Trans baby because we're South Dakota. She picks up Crawl who is like, "Man, I just wish I could remember if I was good last night." And she's just like, "Just shut up. Just shut up and and come with me." So, once they get home, it's basically Tracy it's Thanksgiving dinner, and Travis is trying to be the patriarch, and it's just really kind of awkward. They even have him at the head of the table. Yeah, and so Tracy comes in and is like, all right, Travis here told me I drove us home, but when I got in my car this morning, the seat was all the way back. Mm-hmm. Someone big must have driven. And the other thing is I found this bottle of pills in my car as well. So obviously what must have happened is that a big guy, and she looks right over at Theo, must have 
packed us up into the car and then dropped us up in the hayloft to make it look like we we slept with each other. And so the dad is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he asked Theo, hey, is that true? Because your job depends on it. Because your job depends on it. And so Theo is like, ah, yeah, it was just a joke that went out of hand. And so the dad said, okay, thank you for your honesty, but you're still fired. Get out. (laughs) And so then Travis starts to make a speech and and crawl who has been a complete weakling the entire movie jumps in from the side suddenly a karate master because he he's did major in that for two semesters <laughs> and did the 80s and 90s flip flop and fly what so oh it's just the joke that all of us in the 80s and 90s used to do about when we pretended to know karate so what you pretend to do is you got to elbow them uh-huh. in the stomach which makes them to bend over okay then you lift up that arm's fists to pretend that you hit them in the face, and so they pop up, uh-huh. which perfectly positions them for you to knee them right in the balls oh. and double over, and then that person's supposed to fall over. That so, joke that we all did. Well, I know at least I did. <laughs> so anyway, so mm-hmm. so the bad guy is knocked out. They invite Tiffany into the family to hang out, and uh, of course she sits down next to Zach, the uh, perverted brother who's like, just made his life to get to sit next to her. <laughs> finally, Rebecca's going to do the right thing. And so she finally is like, I got to say something. And she bolts up. And when she does, she says, I really got to say something. Crawl immediately goes, oh, yeah, it's just that we've never picked a date yet. So we might take our time. And so like for a few years kind of time. Yeah. And so the family is like, oh, it's like, oh, that's cool. Not like in a, oh, thank God we dodged a bullet, but more on <laughs> like, a, well, no, that makes sense for you guys to really kind of figure things out before you get married. Because he beggar vanced them. He did beggar vance them. And so the movie ends. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? Oh, no, not at all. I haven't either. Yeah. Maybe we should watch. <laughs> Maybe movies we've never seen. There you go. Minnesota. There you go. Minnesota that. <laughs> And so it ends not with the family photo that's them being goobers and angry with each other, but we, <laughs> we end with the family photo with everybody happy because Aww. Polly Shore truly is the best son-in-law. Oh, such a good movie. Mm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So some of the things I liked about this movie uh-huh. was that um, Steve Rush was the director who directed my favorite 80s, 90s relationship movie of all time, can't buy me love. That's our favorite movie. It is. That was that was one of our signs when when we were dating, and I was just like, oh, okay, this is kind of like the make or break. It's like, <laughs> all right, what do you think of Can't Buy Me Love? And you loved it. And I'm like, yes, that's the right answer. <laughs> Polly Shore created this weasel character, which is just basically crawl. <laughs> and there's there's really two sides to the weasel character, which it had to be to be so popular on MTV. There's kind of the perverted, like, I do a lot of drugs. And you kind of need that to be edgy so the parents don't like him. But then there was always, and is always, this really, like, underlying sweetness behind the character. Like you said, like, he's like a toddler who's just figuring stuff out. So I understand the anti-establishment part of the weasel. But when he goes full on horn dog, it just seems out of it's character. Just, it's just out of character and it's weird. And it's really like the weasel to me, like that Polly Shore character, is just so asexual. Just like really friendly with everybody. Yeah. And it's just really, you he know objectify women. Yeah. And you know, so when he does at the beginning of the movie and stuff like that, you're like, I don't like I I don't like that. Yeah. And I th- <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why girls were totally fine with it and like the weasel character sometimes was just that it was like sure he says those things but it's never going to happen he's harmless 
Yeah, he's, he's just harmless. I had to like kind of get past that in the beginning. And just like the whole like he's an RA like that and like a dorm is like, it's like, nah, I don't think. It... There will be absolutely no partying in this dorm between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Without my written permission. <laughs> you know, th- those parts were just so unbelievable to me. There's no way an RA would act like that. There's no way a dorm would be able to function like that, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, and that, yeah, not at all. I mean, sure, during parties or something like that. But on move-in day, yeah. other things that were kind of difficult about the movie is just that, I mean, the entire thing is a vehicle for Polly Shore. But it's so much so that I really didn't get why is Rebecca so special. Like, at first, we kind of realized she's smart. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty. And I just, I just wish there was more Rebecca in the movie. Mm-hmm. I totally bought the uh, crawl and Rebecca as friends, but as boyfriend girlfriend, I, I just didn't. It was they got caught up in the moment. Yeah, no, and they, and as close friends, as best buds, but right. yeah, I didn't get the chemistry, the real chemistry between them. Mm, okay. Which I think, if you develop that Rebecca character, it's easier to kind of yeah. see that versus. Yeah, because we didn't even know what she was majoring in. Yeah. I also found her brother very unlikable in the beginning. Zach was very unlikable. Because, again, he was just full on. He was a pain in the ass, little brother. And they were just, yeah. It was just like the, the brother that she wouldn't want. It was fine. It had um, several jokes. <laughs> it that, was fine. It was fine. Um, <laughs> there are several jokes, like we mentioned, like Burles and James and stuff like that. His delivery of it is great. And I would imagine people who don't know Bartles and James originally or, or not get the wine cooler joke would understand that like this is an adorable old man, which has some sort of significance. And right. it would be it would be really interesting to have someone like younger, like watch the movie and hear what they would think about it. I think the the rating I really should give this is I, I should give it two thumbs in the middle. Okay. The beginning, I really didn't like the characters and it's kind of a shallow script and so on and so forth. But I can't be mad at Polly Shore. Uh, especially once we get to the sweet crawl. That's a super charismatic character. This was very much like a Saved by the Bell episode. It was kind of like Saved by the Bell with a much better screech. I can't talk to you because you just equated screech with Polly Shore. I can't. I, you know, if Even you... I, my eyes are closed right now. What are the differences... Can't oh, look at you. Right now on tape, <laughs> what are the differences between screech and the weasel? They both have curly hair. Uh-huh. That's not a difference. That's not a difference. I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you for. Uh, see how you're stumped on coming up with differences <laughs> no. between them? No. He's like, <laughs> it's like Screech, cooler and a better dresser is what is what Polly Shore's weasel character is. So it very much felt like well, was, a very special episode. Screech didn't like. Scree- now you have me flustered. He's up on the steroids. Just to make your jewel shrimp roll up like sun dried tomatoes. Remember when he said that? If I had to choose between dying and him kissing me, I'd rather die. Oh, Bartle. <laughs> yeah, so, Sin of a Woman, huh? Mm-hmm. Love that movie. I mean, you were going hoo-ha all over the couch, so... Hoo-ha! Uh, I'm guessing it held up for you. It did. There were things where I was like, eh, that's <laughs> that's problematic. But, <laughs> Gee, I wonder what. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw this movie right when it was available on video, and I was, like, right at Chris O'Donnell's age in the movie. When you're... A, a boy becoming a man and you're like, well, what do I want to be? I think a lot of people get in that place where Chris O'Donnell is in this movie where he's like, I think I know it's right, but I I just haven't done anything yet. I don't know. And then you see this 
charismatic, assertive. Assertive or aggressive? The Yeah. <laughs> The problem I always would have with that is there's always the whole nice guys finish last thing. What a lot of guys mistake assertiveness with being a jerk. Yeah, and being, and it's not not being a doormat. And yeah, if you're wondering why, it's like, oh, geez, why do these guys get the girls when they're a jerk? It's like, well, they're confident, they're straightforward, and uh, they're protective of the people they're protective of. And so a lot of that you don't really realize when you're 17, you're just like, oh, that guy's a jerk. There was one part of the movie where I was like, I desperately want to be that when I grow up. The tango scene. Chris O'Donnell, Al Pacino just sitting there and Al Pacino's like, wait, we've got company. Even though he's blind, he's able to sense this beautiful woman who's like 12 feet away. That's what I want. I want to be able to sense a beautiful woman. Fast forward four or five years later, Yeah. my brother is performing at the rep and I went and saw his show. Afterwards, I was standing there and I was just like, wait, there's a beautiful woman here. I didn't see anybody. And I literally turn around to have Kathy Ireland, the Sports Illustrated <laughs> swimsuit model, who at the time was one of the most beautiful women in the entire world. And she walked right by me because she was in a show right next to my brother's show. And I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track. So yeah, that was the, that was one of my favorite moments of my life, was just didn't say hi to her, didn't do anything. I've never heard that story. Probably not. Well, do you want to hear my pitch for this movie? All right. Okay, Charlie. A prep school scholarship student tries to earn money over Thanksgiving weekend by looking after a cranky old alcoholic who is also blind. It's supposed to be a quiet weekend at home, but his charge has other plans, dragging Charlie along on his tour of pleasures. We start off at Baird, which is a prep school, and I'm guessing like a New Englandy type place. Mm -hmm. which New Hampshire. Oh, okay just before Thanksgiving break mm -hmm. and we meet Charlie Sims who's played by Chris O'Donnell so we learn that he's a scholarship student who is looking for some extra work so he can afford a plane ticket home to Oregon for Christmas not Thanksgiving mm -hmm. not gonna make it home for Thanksgiving so he definitely can't afford to join uh have a Meyer and George Willis who is played by uh billed in this movie as Philip S. Hoffman <laughs> <laughs> which it was so crazy to see him so young because I the first time I ever saw Philip Seymour Hoffman was in Boogie Nights. Philip S. Hoffman was giving me real like James Spader, all la pretty and pink like vibes. Mm -hmm. So there's no way he's gonna be able to join those guys on their ski trip to Sugarbush, nor Christmas in Stad, nor Easter in Bermuda. Alternately, we meet Headmaster Trask, who was given a Jaguar by the Board of Trustees. And this is morally offensive to have a Meyer and his gang. And he uh, very passively, aggressively trolls uh, Trask about it. So we cut to Charlie goes to an interview for a Thanksgiving weekend job. And he meets Mrs. Rossi, who is a young homemaker. And she's planning to visit her husband's family for the holiday. But she needs somebody to stay with her elderly Uncle Frank, who is blind. Played by Al Pacino. Because he refuses to go with the family. She basically shoves... Charlie at the granny flat out back and takes off. And I was like, she's not going to intro. Mm -hmm. She's just going to shove him in there. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> does she want him to take the job? <laughs> mm -hmm. So we learn at the interview that you don't call Uncle Frank, sir. He likes his A's to have a lovely complexion. And that he was once highly decorated intelligence officer. And uh, of which Charlie has not. Exactly. And after that insult and many other insults, uh, Charlie is dismissed. Although Charlie doesn't feel like the interview went very well, he's actually the only one who showed up. So Mrs. Rossi tells him he's perfect for the job. <laughs> yeah, she is definitely the poster child for frazzled, 
homemaker. Mm-hmm. Two kids are just <laughs> way too energetic who are toddlers. And so. Yeah. Like literally in the middle, playing mm-hmm. in the middle of the hallway. Mm-hmm. Stepping, I've done that where you have to step over toys. Mm-hmm. Well, and also laundry because that's where I put our laundry. It goes on the floor mm-hmm. in the hall next to the laundry maker. We're very spacious. <laughs> So you're always like, are these dirty or are these clean? Because <laughs> it's either a dirty pile or a clean pile. Mm-hmm. Or folded piles <laughs> mm-hmm. in the hallway. So she tells him that he's perfect for the job. And that deep down, Uncle Frank is a lump of sugar. She begs him to take the job. Oh, she's begging. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, dear God. She just wants to go to Albany for Thanksgiving with her whole family. Mm-hmm. Cut to Charlie's job at the library. And after George Willis talks him into letting him borrow a book that's on reserve and not allowed to leave the library, they walk out towards the parking lot where they see Havemeyer and his gang are rigging up some kind of prank um, to the light pole. And along comes Mrs. Hunsaker. And so George tries to distract her, but the pranksters noisily drag a metal ladder behind them as they escape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she notices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's a bit suspicious. Yeah, like they and they were yelling, uh, you know, George being a moron, like yells over to them. What are them. you doing? Yeah, and like whistles. And so like it's George's fault. The that whole they get, thing is George's fault. Yeah, that they get caught because he's being a moron. Yeah, we're not supposed to. No. So the next day, Trask parks his new Jag under the light pole, and Havemeyer and the gang heckle him over the loudspeaker as a big balloon that's hanging from the light uh, starts to inflate over the car. This is a very involved prank. Yeah, this is like a movie prank. (laughs) It inflates over the car, and Trask tries to laugh it off, and he pops the balloon with his keys only to have white paint rain down upon him and the car. George and Charles are hauled in because they were seen looking out over the parking lot the night before by Mrs. Hunsaker. So he tries to get them to rat on the pranksters, but they both are claiming ignorance, and Trask tries to threaten them. They're going to have a special session of the disciplinary committee, and the both boys are going to be questioned in front of the entire school. And then if he's not satisfied with how it goes, then they're both going to be expelled. Trask uh, then dismisses George. And we're like, oh, God. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he offers Charlie a bribe. Um, he's going to help him get into Harvard if he tells uh, on the guilty parties. Because apparently I already I was, I was already going to do that. So if you want me to continue to do that, then then I will if you tell me who the guilty parties are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a jerk move. Which, you know, he's on scholarship, and he's not like the other boys, so... Yeah, and it's not even, I'll get you into Harvard, it's, I will get you into Harvard for free. Right, right. You will get a scholarship for, to go there. So, Charlie hesitates, and Trask tells him to take the holiday to think about it, and so, after he gets out of there, George tells him, hey, we gotta st- stick together, um, we're not even gonna tell our parents, right? Mm-hmm. So the next uh, next day, Uncle Frank is surprised that Charlie has actually shown up for the weekend, and he immediately starts barking orders at him, and he appears to be getting ready for a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because he was on the phone with what I first thought was like a 900 number, but now I'm realizing it was the dispatcher for the taxi service, and she must have a body to go with that voice, and someday he's going to swing by and find out. 
<laughs> yep. I was like, barf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Charlie tries to be helpful, but Frank freaks out when Charlie grabs his arm. He's like, you don't touch me, I touch you. So when I was in college, um, mm-hmm. I had a friend named Patty, and she had had this surgery that was basically made her blind. So she had kind of, one of our friends was kind of her helper, um, but then when he couldn't be there... Um, I was her, she called me her seeing eye, Corey. Mm-hmm. And so I learned that, you know, you let the person who's blind take your arm and then you let them kind of, she taught me how to walk down steps, which is very helpful and useful because I rarely trip down steps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you had this history of falling down steps and then we're like, well, my friend's blind now. So I guess I got to figure this out because <laughs> she taught me you tap the edge of the step to know where it is and so each step you tap with your foot as you go down and i have since well there was one time Mm -hmm. when she was i was seeing i corying her and i tripped and we both fell down the stairs (laughs) in front of everybody like i'm used to like she's used to me and i'm used to her you know but like strangers were like oh my god that girl just like took a huge combo with this blind person with this with a with her cane and everything <laughs> so bad it was so awful Aww. and i was like well you knew i was a klutz oh <laughs> So anyway, um, we, we should mention that Patty was fine afterwards. Patty was fine. And, and she was laughing, laughing hysterically. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Patty. So a taxi arrives and we realize that they're, we all realize that we're going on a trip to New York City. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is torn because he can't take a trip to New York, but he can't leave Frank alone. So uh, Uncle Frank and Charlie take a first class flight to stay at the Waldorf Astoria. And he's tipping everyone like a baller. And I'm like, where's this money coming from? (laughs) If he's so rich, why is he living in a granny flat behind his niece? What is going on? And I'm going to skip past the gross monologue about objectifying women that he does Mm -hmm. on the plane. There are several of them. Two syllables. Oh, what is it? The thing that's worth the is two syllables. Worth hearing in this whole world. And I was like, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) You were? He had a different word. And And then he said. And he said, distant second is a Ferrari. Yes. This was one of the connections between <laughs> son-in-law and son-in-law. Which we do this all the time without realizing it. So the Al Pacino character here, Frank, is very unlikable oh, I hated for him. the first part of the movie. And then it's like, okay. I literally, in my notes, just over and over again, I hate him. Mm-hmm. I hate this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Charlie insists that he must go back to school, but Uncle Frank talks him into having dinner with him first, Mm -hmm. and then he can take the next train back. So in the limo, Frank asks the limo driver about the escort situation. (laughs) Because the mater, the, uh, not the mater d, what's that guy called? The bellboy. Bellboy. There's no help in this department. The bellboy. Since it's illegal, by the way. Astoria. You could get things done there. So he asks about the escort situation and he kind of senses that something's bothering Charlie. So he's like, what's your problem, kid? I the, I can feel the, the air is heavy. The weight in the room. The weight of the room. So Charlie tells him about the problem, a little bit about the problem he's having at school. And in the Oak Room, which is a fancy restaurant where they sell $25 hamburgers. Which I realize isn't a big deal now, but that would be like a, a 50 or $75 hamburger today. Like a Kobe beef Exactly. Hamburger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it's like really just like a steak. On a bun. <laughs> On a bun. Yeah. <laughs> so then Charlie starts wondering, what I've been wondering this whole time is where is 
is all this money coming from? It's all a part of the plan. And Frank tricks Charlie into staying because he needs a guide dog, his words, for his tour of pleasure. Barf. Because he can get around New York City, but sometimes he needs someone to just help point him away. His tour of pleasure, which is to, one, stay in a first-class hotel, eat an agreeable meal, have a nice glass of wine, see his big brother, make love to a terrific woman, and then blow his brains out. Can you pass the rolls? <laughs> <laughs> see, I think that's the, the appeal of the character, at least for men. It's like, you know, as you age, I think everybody wants to, to be able to live the life they want to be able to live. So the next day, Charlie wakes up to find a seamstress in the hotel room, and she's making Frank and Charlie a Thanksgiving outfit each. And Frank overhears a phone call between Charlie and George. Charlie insists that nobody's going to tell their parents about the incident at school, but Frank thinks George is definitely going to sing like a canary. So they show up uninvited to Frank's big brother's Thanksgiving, and they're not very happy to see them. And his nephew, Randy, who... Played by Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm, who was in uh, Happy Gilmore. And West Wing, yes. Ah, West Wing, whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I never saw West Wing. Oh, my gosh. The only thing I know about West Wing is the West Wing walk and talk. That's oh. all I know. Because you have to know that if you're an improviser. There you go. Because that's a trope that you have to know. So his nephew, Randy, berates him for being a terrible person. And he tells a family-friendly story about a racist menage a trois he once had. <laughs> oh, Frank does. Yes, not Randy. <laughs> Barf. And then we learn that Frank lost his sight in a grenade juggling accident. And I was like, how would you just lose your sight and not your full eyeballs in a grenade juggling accident? Yeah, it was a little bit of a, how, what? <laughs> That's not how grenades work. Like, you don't lose your sight. You lose your body in that explosion. You lose your head. <laughs> yeah, if you're juggling especially, because it's not going to get that far away from right. you. So. so they leave after uh, Frank grabs Randy by the windpipe and shoves him up against the wall. Charlie and Frank head back to New York in the limo. Because I guess the driver just sat around all Thanksgiving in a limo. <laughs> I mean, he's getting paid by the hour, I'm sure. Yeah. So the next day, Charlie finds Frank in his room with his gun. And I was like, how did he get a gun through airport security? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Just go with the movie. Just go with it. Okay. He kind of freaks out, and he's uh, going to try to call Frank's niece, but Frank eats the paper with the phone number on it before he can do that. And he's like, oh, it tastes like Albany. Blech. <laughs> yeah, it's like a full piece of paper. And I was like, that, there's no way that you could eat that that quickly. And swallow it. Yeah. And not get a paper cup your windpipe well that's one of the things is like as soon as as he's also said i'm gonna blow my brains out like this has a whole different level for for charlie the whole time he's like he's he's shook from that and then oh, yeah. then there's an actual gun it's like oh my god you actually, you actually could be are gonna do this yeah yeah so uh charlie threatens to leave but frank begs him to help him around nyc for just one more day and charlie will if Frank gives him his gun, and he's, like, not giving him his gun because he's a soldier. So he's like, okay, fine, give me the bullets. So he does, including the one in the chamber. Ooh-ah. So they stop at a restaurant uh, where he catches the scent of a woman, Barf, Donna, who is Gabrielle Anwar. So the house band is playing a tango at 2 p.m. on a Black Friday, Thanksgiving weekend. So Frank invites himself to sit at her table and offers to teach her the tango. But she's afraid she's going to get it wrong. But he tells her, if you get all tangled up, you just tango on. So in the limo ride on the way to the escort's place, Frank thinks that Charlie should take the bribe and rat before George does. Because George definitely would turn on Charlie without a second thought if it was, if it was him. 
So while Frank is indisposed, Charlie mm-hmm. calls George again from the phone in the limo. And George says he's going to talk to his dad, even though they said they weren't going to talk to parents. Because he's like, you know, somebody should do something about this trask. And, you know, my dad's a real big donor. Um, My dad will get us off the hook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, Frank seems to be in a deep depression. And he sleeps until the afternoon. And Charlie tells him, hey, uh, George's dad's going to get us off the hook. And Frank's like, well, I'd watch the us part. Mm -hmm. We all know how this is going to go. So Frank tells Charlie that... Go ahead and get the plane ticket and um, your pay for this out of my wallet, and you can just go ahead and, and go back without me. And he's, like, super depressed. And I was almost like, did he, like, drug himself? Like, what's going on? Well, he's he's finished. He's done he's done everything on the list, so. He's uh, uh, leaving Las vegas himself. Exactly. <laughs> so Charlie talks him into going for a ride. Cut to the Ferrari dealership where Frank convinces the reluctant salesman to let a 17-year-old and a blind man take a car out for a test drive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they get the car out, magically, and at one point Frank takes the wheel on empty New York City streets. That's believable. Yeah, there's so many of those in New York City. (laughs) And he floors it to 70 miles an hour, and, you know, he's just going around turns and stuff. He relies on Charlie to tell them when. And if Charlie doesn't tell him, he's just going to take a turn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a nightmare. So they get pulled over, and he talks his way out of a ticket. Mm -hmm. And uh, Frank is having the time of his life. But on the walk back to the Waldorf, Frank starts acting weird and uh, impatient. And he walks right out into oncoming traffic because the light's not changing fast enough. And so then we get to the hotel room, and he asks Charlie to go get him some cigars. So Charlie goes to the lobby and then goes, "Uh." Yeah, because the Monte Cristo won. Is uh, if it's the Cuban cigar, which of course it's Frank, so that's what he would want. Uh-huh. You can't go anywhere and get those. You have to go to special shops you to get to that. You got to go to the no, or, or not even the Waldorf. You'd, you'd have to go to a, a shop a that humid, specializes in a humidor. Mm-hmm. A humidor. Yep. So he goes back upstairs and he finds Frank in his dress blues and he's getting ready to do what he came to do. And there's the gun and more bullets. So Charlie tries to get him to reconsider, and they argue, and then they wrestle with the gun, and then mm-hmm. Frank threatens to shoot Charlie unless he leaves, and Charlie calls us bluff, and there's this big like back and forth, and says, if you're tangled up, you just tango on. So then Frank uh, talks about how he wishes that he had a woman. I'm going to say that he wishes that he had a woman to love. I'm not going to tell you what he actually said because it was disgusting. Yeah, so he, he wants a woman. And the turning point in the in the dialogue is when Charles says, I, I don't see why you can't have that. Mm-hmm. So that's the glimmer of hope that makes him go, huh? And then Charles says, look, you're this, you're this, you're this and this. And you're the best tango dancer I've ever seen. And uh, and so Slade, of course, says, uh, you're not putting me on, are you, Charlie? And he's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and so it's a nice comedy. But but <laughs> that's the moment where you know he's going to be OK. Where, like, you know, Charles has helped him to see that there could be this dream he gave up on mm-hmm. is still possible for him. And that's enough of a reason to live. So they've missed their flight. So Frank pays Manny, the limo driver that's been driving them around this whole weekend, to drive them back home. To New Hampshire. To New Hampshire. From New York City. Uh, which I feel like is a long way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All of those states are real close together. So Charlie gets dropped off at school uh, the next morning just in time for the special session of the disciplinary committee. So Charlie and uh, George are on the stage in front of the whole school. And surprise, George's father is right there next to him. But Frank and Manny show up 
as uh, Trask is starting into the special session. He's monologuing. He's monologuing about integrity and uh, standard of excellence, blah, blah, blah. So they're walking down toward the stage, and everyone's like, who's that guy? And uh, Frank's going to sit next to Charlie on, on the stage in place of his parents because he needs somebody to be in his Because Frank knows what's going on, and he's <laughs> not going to let Charles face it by himself. So George says, oh, I didn't have my contacts in, so I don't know who it was. I mean, but it could have been Havemeyer and the other two guys. But I'm not sure. Don't hold me to it. But I don't know because I have my contacts and I just can't see. And so then they turn to Charlie and Charlie's like, well, I mean, I definitely saw something. Um, It could have been in the form of a Baird student. They were the size and shape of any typical Baird student. So then Trask threatens to expel Charlie and then Frank... Not, yeah, but not George. But not George. Not the other three, because there's, quote unquote, not enough evidence. Right. But we're going to we're gonna kick out the scholarship kid. Mm-hmm. So then Frank launches into an impassioned speech about Charlie and his integrity in the face of even a bribe. And everyone's like, <gasps> I won't say from who, although it's very clear. Then this is where we get the famous line, you're out of order. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says at one point, I'm just getting started. <laughs> he is... My favorite part of the whole monologue, which is kind of like threading the needle because these kids that, quote unquote, Charles is protecting are just jerks. And so he don't care about him as people are kind of cheering out of nowhere. He's just like those three kids and you and you and you F you. And just because it's like clearly these kids were jerks. And so got him wrapped up to it. Mm -hmm. So he said he he talks about how how all Baird students should value integrity and loyalty and everybody cheers. And then the disciplinary committee just get together right then and there. And they decide that Charlie will not be expelled because he ain't no snitch. So he's not (laughs) because so. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which was kind of morally problematic in some ways. But I think we'll talk about that at the end of the movie. Yeah. So on the way out, a, mm-hmm. a lovely auburn-haired teacher, Miss Downs, who is uh, Frances Conroy, who is the mom in Six Feet Under, thanks Frank for what he said, and she really admires him, and he admires her perfume and guesses what it is, and she's very impressed, and they should get together and talk about politics at some point. Because Charles tries to wingman him, and it's like, oh, by the way, Frank was on Lyndon Johnson's staff, and so she's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Um, so then Frank realizes, hey, maybe I do have something to live for after all. And that's the movie. Well, he drops him off at, mm-hmm. uh, at his granny flat. And all of a sudden he's nice to his grandniece and nephew. Where Somewhat before, nice, yeah. Or he was not. Yeah. <laughs> I really did not like at all that he called his five-year-old grandniece a piece of tail. Did he call his grandniece that? Yes. When she was at the window, uh, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, there was another part where he says the tail's in the tail when the sw- when the stewardess goes back. Yeah, that's not. I'm not talking about the stewardess. But I'm I, talking about his grandniece. Yeah, that's five. not. That's not good. <laughs> it was all. It was also very funny for the first like half of the movie. You and Charles's body language was exactly the same for like the first half, as he is like <laughs> utterly repulsed by Al Pacino's character. <laughs> It was so, you were mirroring each other perfectly. When his eye rolls were happening, your eye rolls were happening. And when he would tense up, you were tensing up. And yeah, it was so funny. It, it was, it was, that was actually kind of a funny side note. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm glad it was funny to someone. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting how only Pacino and Walken are allowed to uh, deliver lines. Uh, like, no other actor would be allowed to say, 
words in that cadence and in that tone. Like they mm-hmm. definitely have their very own way, like different ways of speaking, mm-hmm. but that, you know, nobody else would be allowed to be like that because it wouldn't make any sense. Well, they're, they're both very, <laughs> they somehow make it very charismatic and very believable. Where in other people, it's like, oh, they're clearly acting. There's something about the authenticity on which they say lines. Yeah, but they're just that lets them get away with a lot of and stuff. They, and yeah, can't. it's just the way that they they say things like uh, no other person would ever even think to 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 say it in that tone or that cadence or phrase it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't like how he was sexually harassing everyone. Like on my notebook, I was yeah. like, so we're just gonna sexually harass everyone, and everyone's like, oh, yo. Yeah, they usually get they usually get yeah half offended and then half like oh okay so because he's blind I don't know well no and also yeah because he's a he's a powerful man clearly the thing not to replicate or to glorify is his womanizing Mm -hmm. so unfortunately some people will use that to glorify the womanizing and the sexual harassment where you should be glorifying not that but his his confidence his want to cut through. the palaver, the want to like really get to the truth. And those are the thing. And and to be confident and knowing that you're wrong and still going forward to like figure out what's right. Like that stuff should be admired and copied, but not the other. Well, he openly admits that he's a terrible person. Mm -hmm. So, and that he shouldn't have been like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. He's, he's rotten. Yeah. And he admires Charlie because Charlie is not. Yeah. Cause he's willing to do the right thing, even though it's hard. Speaking of the right thing, I'm not so sure that that was the right thing to do (laughs) because, I mean, wouldn't you tell the truth about something that happened that was wrong as opposed to being loyal to rotten people who don't give a crap about you? The whole ethics of is Chris O'Donnell right? This guy, Matthew Belinke at overthinkingit.com wrote an excellent article called The Ethics of Ascent of a Woman. On overthinking.com? Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't it, sound like you. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Remarkably, it's my first time on this site. But anyway, but he does a great job of really kind of breaking down in that, you know, like in the middle of his, I mean, the whole purpose is so that Al Pacino can get his Oscar speech at the end. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the scene, uh-huh. which it does great. And, he and, and he won the Oscar for it. <laughs> if it's a harmless prank, it kind of makes sense not to rat him out. But what the kids did, they ruined a Jaguar. It's that's serious damage that was done. However, and again, the article will give you all the ins and outs if you want to go through it. The thing is, is once the taskmaster, whatever his name is, Mr. Task. Mr. Trask. Mr. Trask. The headmaster. The headmaster. The Traskmaster. The Traskmaster. Anyway, <laughs> when he says, basically makes it contingent on him going to Harvard. That's when it takes the turn. Yeah. I wish they would have made him seem more evil. If possible, just to make it easier to understand. But then the other thing, which is a huge part of teaching, I think, is that when he calls the full school session, that's a jerk move. Oh, yeah. And I kept thinking that whole time, like, this should have been handled in private. Yeah. And so so that, again, kind of puts an extra thing of, well, okay, maybe that's when you don't say. When it's like, look, I'm going to make you be a snitch in front of everybody. Right. It's a a no-win situation because it's like, you're right. On the one hand, you know, major property damage vandalism was done. But on the other hand, when you stick a bribe in there, then that changes things. And then when you are overusing your power to call a special school session for everyone, everyone. just to make yourself look powerful. So, yeah, I mean, that's and that's one of the lessons you got to learn as a teacher is sometimes your kids do jerky things. You have a choice as a teacher whether to be a jerk back. 
And I'm convinced that kids pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. It's and not fair. And apologize when you're wrong. Yeah. Because that's worth a lot. Yeah. I've had a lot of kids shocked when I've done that before. So. Or my child is shocked when I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I do it a lot. So what's the article called again? The Ethics of a Son of a Woman. It's on overthinkingit.com. And it's Matthew Belinky is the one who wrote that. So, so. check that out if you want to overthink it. So I thought that uh, Mr. O'Donnell did a pretty good job holding his own against... The tour de force that is Mr. Pacino. The sea of love that is Pacino. Oh, man. My- <laughs> and, yeah, kind of like how you talked about how you hated Crawl at the beginning of Son-in-Law. I hated Frank at the beginning. But by the end, I softened up a little bit because I understood why he was an a-hole. And because he started caring about more than just his own self, he was actually shepherding Charlie. He, he has a new sense of meaning when Charles won't let him go. And he's like, you know, jokes about adopting him and, you know, realizes that his life can be to help this kid, Charles, and mm-hmm. his the love he never had in his life is still possible. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't really know how to feel about this. Uh, this is really this is really tough for me. Um, I really uh, even up to this point struggled to rate this movie. <laughs> and I even was like, what did I write? I kept asking, what, what did I write? movie and you're like i don't remember yeah we're not very mathematical no not at all we're very we don't have the the poetry scale this is this is all an excuse for my beautiful wife and i to talk about (laughs) movies together so that's what the purpose of this is so not doing a scientific scale and one of the other purposes of it is it's like for other couples who like they don't know what movie to watch because we're tend we tend to be picking guy movies and girl movies and it's Mm -hmm. like this is worth watching okay you can watch this or like no don't even you can okay. find something else. So I hated it um, uh-huh. at first. Hated it. I was like, mm-hmm. down, thumbs down. But all the things that we've kind of been talking about, um, n- not the sexual harassment, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it sparked a good discussion. Mm-hmm. So it's an important story. So I guess my rating would be one thumb down because mm-hmm. of all the problematic things and that this is not a movie for me. A lot of sexual harassment in this movie. A lot movie. of sexual harassment. Yeah. I did not like when he called his niece a piece of tail i thought that that's was not defensible awful however he does kind of redeem himself in the end and so i will have a thumb in the middle so ladies if you want to watch this just be prepared you're gonna hate it at first but <laughs> you might uh be okay with it by the end <laughs> it is it is very much a guy's movie i did appreciate that when you get all tangled up just tango on well, we just watched two movies about people that both of us did not like at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of grew on us at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was especially interesting with, with Son-in-Law. Like, I just, I think the first time I watched it, he was just someone likable at the beginning. It got hard for me to get to, like, okay, now he's the weasel character, the good parts of the weasel character. But that's one of the interesting things of watching these movies together is, like, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have realized the sweetness of the crawl character as much if I hadn't been watching it with you because you kept like saying like things like, oh, that's sweet. See, he's a good guy. And I'm just like, I was just like, uh huh, uh huh. And then I was like, okay. Yeah. So it was interesting because you, you, um, one of the purposes of doing this is I, I want to see things more through your eyes. So uh-huh. it's, it was cool to get to do that. So, well, hoo-ah. yeah. <laughs> hoo-ah. All right. Well, guys, I don't know if you know this, but the holidays. They're just getting solid. Oh boy! <laughs> Did I do it right? Yeah, no, that was spot on. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if uh, Pacino was Did on the other side of the table. Yeah, with me. I was gonna. Did you see Pacino over here? 
Yeah. Going on with our holiday tradition. The next movie we're going to do is Christmas. Christmas movies. Or are they? Oh, well, yours is pretty much a shoe in So you want to tell them your favorite movie of all time that we're going to be watching? It is my, one, of my fa- one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. And we watch Christmas movies all year round here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just not the ones I want. That's true. I've <laughs> seen Christmas Chronicles 1 and 2 about 4,000 times. In the month of July alone. Yeah. So, yeah. I really want to watch Noel 4,000 times, but Noel has a sad part where a little reindeer named Snow Cone doesn't get to go on the trip. Yeah. So and, and our little one does not like that scene. She thinks it's so sad, and so she does not want to watch that movie. <laughs> so the movie from your end we're going to watch is? <laughs> we're going to be watching Bill Murray play an Ebenezer Scrooge type. Groundhog Day. No, in Scrooge. What about, oh, okay, Scrooge, all right. I've watched parts of that movie with you. Mm -hmm. I remember you really, yeah, you really wanted me to watch it. And so I, it was one of the Christmases I was half dead. And so we, I kind of faded, faded in and out of, of Scrooge while watching it. And uh, Pete's body uh, gives up uh, every uh, time there's a vacation, the Friday of vacation when it starts, his body goes, oh, well, I guess we're done here. Yeah. And shuts down. And just shuts down for anywhere from two to 20 days. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, um, so that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the only time I saw it. Uh, didn't keep me awake. Uh, so we'll have to see again. This is your death proof, isn't it? I did not throw up during this movie. <laughs> so not quite death proof. Okay. But the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to get really philosophical uh, and you're going to see one of my favorite movies of all time. And I usually just to be contrary, say it's a Christmas movie, but that movie is Die Hard. Mm-hmm. So we will do the math. We'll watch it. I'm going to love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will decide whether it's really a Christmas movie or not. We'll make the determination. So like we literally had a Die Hard Christmas party and I. I had a newborn, so I had an excuse to. I, it was on, but I don't remember any of it because I ignored it the whole time. Was that with Roar? Was that... Yeah, that was the Roar uh, Christmas party. My Roar when we were all still together and not all living in L.A. and New York, New York and Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to Brittany Allen, who yes. is one of our not only a lovely woman, but. Uh, let us know that she likes the podcast so thank you Brittany it's her number one podcast so and if you would like (laughs) us to be your number one podcast you can find us on Apple podcast and Google podcast and our our home is Anchor but Spotify and Stitcher Stitcher, so so sometimes I listen to make sure that it sounds okay. There you go. That's important. <laughs> oh, but, you can listen on Facebook apparently too, right? Yeah. The last last episode we did was up on Facebook. Yeah. Just like, hey, so if you, however you're listening to us, thank you. Yeah. If you could give us a, a thumbs up or review and share. Five-star review. Five-star review. A great Christmas present. Thank you. That would be wonderful. <laughs> if you want to talk about what we thought about these movies. Yeah. Corey always puts up some hilarious images based off of our discussions. And so. I made Matt Dillon sitting on Jericho with Tina. Yes, it was that. It is that ridiculous. So yeah, uh, so check us out on our Facebook page, mm -hmm. and we have an Instagram page as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's it. Talk at you later. (laughs)